0: Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm
2: Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah and you're listening to the tennis podcast. <laughs>
3: Naomi Osaka did it. She's won her third Grand Slam singles title, her second US Open, and at 2am I come to you with my glass of whiskey, half full, and it feels brimming, though, Catherine Whitaker, because I'm really quite jubilant about her story, about her, her rise again, if you like, from the doldrums of a year ago when she was so down in the dumps, and she was she's a wonderful champion, isn't she?
4: Of all the things to make you turn to whiskey, David, I didn't think it would be today.
3: I've gone up in the world. From my- <laughs> I've actually run out of beer, but...
4: <laughs> um, yeah, I think we should all be toasting Naomi Osaka tonight. She is an extraordinary human being and I am dazzled. I'm dazzled by her in every respect this fortnight. What an uplifting and inspiring woman she is just just a wonderful person and an absolute privilege to have her in this sport in this moment The yeah the world needs more naomi osakas i think it's mm. very good at tennis as well
3: she, she's quite good at tennis um j- just before we get on to the the final tonight hello matt by the way how you doing matt you all right
2: very well, thank you, David. What, what's
3: been what's what's been your earliest bedtime this week, Matt? This last two weeks, what's the, what's the? I say earliest, um, given that we <laughs> we finished. I mean, it's two, 202 a.m. at the moment, folks. Um, what's the what's the earliest you've been to bed?
2: I think there was a day where it began with four o'clock something. Right. Those those were the. Those were the days in week one when uh, the night sessions weren't quite so important to cover in full. And I think it was four o'clock something, yes. That was the earliest. And your latest was? Um, About 11am. That was
4: a particularly bad day. That's just a nap. That's not going to bed. Mm -hmm.
3: Uh, Right. Well, before we get on to the match itself, just, just on Osaka, did you think that she would become what she she now is a year ago or two years ago. Did you think this, I mean, both as a player, as somebody who has won three majors, but now she's giving off the vibe to me that this is not the end by far, that she will go on and win many, many of these. and And also just as somebody who just seems to know herself so well and, and is and is happy to just go with that did you Catherine did you see this come in a year ago
4: well that's interesting a year ago obviously <sighs> I think if you'd asked me after the Australian Open last year, I would absolutely have said yes. She is going to be a multiple, multiple Grand Slam champion.
3: 2019 she, Australian Open.
4: Yeah, I would have said she's absolutely... She's she's going to be the dominant force. She will be the linchpin of, of the rivalries. Others will be there. Others will win slams. But she will kind of be the the pivot of it all. Um, and I I never... I, I I never fell into particular troughs of doubt about her. I don't think I've ever doubted that she would win more slams or return to number one in the world. Um, I know she hasn't returned to, to number one in the world, but the rankings at the moment feel like feel like a bit of an irrelevance, really. Um, and she she certainly will at some stage. Um, but I maybe maybe wavered on whether she would have the single-mindedness that it required to be a totally dominant force in the sport. But I, but I now think maybe she might be so unique that she can find a way to be a dominant force in the sport without that single-mindedness, without that kind of self-centeredness, as, uh, as Martina Navratilova put it um, in our build-up today she, she, you know she said that the reason what Naomi Osaka is doing kind of off the court and all of her activism is so extraordinary is because it's completely in theory incompatible with this completely self-centered sport and, and the same goes for Victoria Azarenka and and motherhood you know it this is this is a sport that demands your 100% devotion and attention, not just yours, but of kind of everyone else around you and everyone else in your life. So I, look, I know this is only one more slam. I know she's not back to number one. I know she's not, you know, a 10 time Grand Slam champion yet, but I think she might have figured out a way to to become that dominant force without the single mindedness, which is pretty incredible. Mm. Really, um,
3: Plus, If we just look at the match alone, she's managed to win a match today from, was it 6-1, love and a point for three love down? You know, when you don't have very much time in a best of three set match, it's always my concern in the best of three set Grand Slam finals in the women's game. It always concerns me that somebody just won't find their form quickly enough or will freeze or and and will you end up without an event at all I mean it was 36 minutes to get to 6-1-2 love and Victoria Azarenka at that point had got 16 out of her first 17 first serves in and she just looked unstoppable because I, I mean I'm really surprised it turned around in as much as I always think of Azarenka is so single-minded in those situations and so relentless and so up for the fight that I couldn't see how this turns around. So how did it turn around? Matt, have you got any thoughts on that?
2: It was the most dramatic turnaround I can remember in a Grand Slam final.
4: It was the most dramatic turnaround since 48 hours ago.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um... But this was different, wasn't it, in in feel because
4: yes, but it was it was the same score. It line. was
2: exactly the same scoreline as Azarenka's semi-final. Yes.
3: Oh, of course. Yeah. I was. I suppose mm. I was thinking of. I was thinking of Zverev, Oh, Christ! No, no. We're, not,
4: <laughs> we're not thinking about <laughs> <laughs> Pablo Grenia Buster. I have erased stop, that from my mind. Stop thinking so about that immediately. You're thinking
3: about <laughs> Serena leading Azarenka six-one mm. yeah. and a break. Was it or? I can't remember.
2: No, I don't think Serena ever had the break no. in the second set in the way that Azarenka did. Um, so yeah, I mean Azarenka wins eight of the first nine games, Osaka wins twelve of the last sixteen games. It was it was completely dramatic turnaround. I mean Azarenka at the start picked up right where she left off against Serena. It was it was stunning to witness. And Osaka was shell shocked, I think, by how Azarenka was swarming all over her and taking the ball early and redirecting the ball and moving Osaka around and as you said, being so so good on her first serve and so confident. And I think normally when you get a turnaround, two things need to happen and I think both things happened and that was that the player in the lead, their level dropped and the player who was behind, their level raised and I'm never sure... They kind of go hand in hand, those two things. I'm never sure what comes first. But my feeling was that Osaka lifted her game first. That was that was how I felt watching it. She started to hit the ball more accurately, I think. And she was overhitting a lot at the start. And she reined it in a little bit and started to find, find her rhythm, find the corners. And I think that slightly threw Azarenka off. Um, and then... She got the sting back in her shots, Osaka, and once she did, she she played like she has in this whole tournament, which was firing firing winners off both wings. And when she's like that, I think that is the highest level of of tennis that we see on a hard court in the women's game. And I'm I'm, I'm not sure she can be touched when she plays like that. I I watched the final
4: alongside Danielle, Daniela Hantikova in the. Um in the Prime Video studio and she she found a lot of it quite um, harrowing, actually, to, to watch. Maybe that's slightly too strong a word, but she was quite shaken by it because she was she was empathising very hard with Victoria Azarenka and she was having flashbacks, I think, to her... Um, what year was it that she played Anna Ivanovic in the Australian Open semi-final?
3: Yeah, wasn't it about... Yeah.
4: Yes, it was, 08, oh, yeah. Because um, it, it was the Shar- Sharapova one. And, sh- and um,
3: she, she'd just beaten Serena Williams, hadn't she? She'd just been
4: s- had she just beaten Serena? Anyway, she led a set and two love and 40 love. And she was she said she was playing like an absolute dream. It couldn't possibly have been better. And she said when she failed to hold serve... To love, she said it felt like the world had ended and she sat down and thought, Well, I've lost the match. You know, it, it can only go downhill from here. She said, She said, There is very much a thing as playing too well. And I don't, I, I, I don't mean, I really don't mean to take anything away from Asaka because I think she, I completely agree with you, Matt. She planted that seed that Azarenka allowed to, to sprout. She raised her game. She recognised the significance, even though she was down a set and break. She recognised the significance of that game and planting that seed in Azarenka's mind. And it, it all got away from her very, very quickly. And you could, I could almost see the flashbacks in front of Daniela's eyes. Um, she said she played too well and when you play that well there is a voice in the back of your mind that says you can't keep this up for a whole match it is not possible she 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 made her first 13 first serves i mean i would have a voice in my mind saying well it's just, i mean nobody in the history of time has ever made a whole match worth of first serves so it's so it's only a matter of time before this stop. it's all it's all going to go to pieces it's just a matter of time i find that a very human psychology um, Where I'd I'd have probably gone. Oh, if this is going well. I'm just going to carry on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I it'll mean, all, it'll all work out. It's the, neither psychology has got either of us anywhere in the in the tennis <laughs> tennis circuit, David. And it's
3: got us the same place in the broadcasting world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Different routes, Here folks. We are.
4: Here we are. at two o'clock in the morning. Um, but yeah, I found it. I found it absolutely fascinating. But I I think it was a combination of soccer. Asaka made made that happen and Asaka and Azarenka kind of fell into that psychological trap.
3: Brief correction for myself, folks. Uh, Serena Williams was beaten by Hantakova in the 2006 Australian Open. So at least I got the tournament right. And I know this because I did commentate <laughs> on the match and it was it was dramatic. Um, but and as you say, it was 2008 when she won that first set 6-love against uh, Ivanovic and then and then lost in 3. Yeah.
2: That's really interesting that that point about playing too well. But there are also lots of occasions where we've all been watching tennis matches and a player is playing so well and we all think the match is over. So I think you have to credit Asaka for being smart enough and she is such a smart person number one but also tennis player and I think she recognised that she was going to get a chance she was going to get a moment there was there was a very brief toss of the racket wasn't there in the first set when she was frustrated but other than that she stayed incredibly calm and present and didn't give off any sort of sign that she thought there wasn't a route back into this match that that she wasn't ready to pounce as soon as she sensed any kind of vulnerability from Azarinka. And I think her role in both in terms of the way she upped her level, but also even before she upped her level, the fact that she managed to stay in the match was a significant factor in turning it around because, I mean, it's something Azarenko said a lot. Belief comes before the result and Osaka had to believe that she could come back before she made the comeback and she did.
3: I also liked what she said on court about that moment when she tossed the racket down and began the process of turning it around. She said, What was going through my mind? I I want to play with a better attitude than this. You know, she she was very self critical of her own attitude. And I love that self awareness. I love that uh, okay, yes, my opponent's playing really well, but what am what am I doing? Why why am I why am I going about my business like this? And I got the sense that voices of her parents and people in her upbringing that might have said those sort of things to her, and in the past probably come to the fore, and she now can self reflect and realise what's going on, um, and and it, it does show great maturity and self awareness, and and it's what it's another one of the reasons why I think we could be looking at a player that could do this multiple times many many more multiple times than she already has she's already won three three major titles but we talked about it with mary yesterday she wants to win she wants to compete but yeah she has this ability to 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 just understand what's going on out there now that she's kind of a little more mature particularly
4: yeah some of the um some of the quotes that uh uh, American Andrew, hello, American Andrew. Who's been uh, who's been doing some some notes for us all during this tournament? Some fantastic notes. Some of the quotes from from Wim Fisset that he dug up um, ahead of the match were absolutely fascinating. Kind of on on many different fronts. He's a he's a really open talker, Wim Fisset, and was extremely open on the advantage that he felt it gave to Osaka, The fact that he had coached Azarenka before. Um, but he was talking about the danger of over-coaching Osaka and the fact that he's hyper-aware that she's an instinct player and he never wants to coach her to... He, he's a very detail-orientated coach. He does PowerPoint presentations and Asaka has talked about how she really en- enjoys that about him, that he gives her this clarity of thought out there. But he is very conscious that he doesn't want to coach away her instincts and to s- that really chimes doesn't it with her sort of finding this sense of self this this woman that has is, is learned got to know herself and learned what her instincts are and that it's okay to trust them and I think that applies to if it's not kind of stretching the analogy too far it applies both to forehands and backhands and to and to her incredibly on-point quips in post-match interviews. It kind of... She exudes it in everything she does. Mm. The...
3: Um, she had a brief wobble, a little bit like against Jennifer Brady, towards the end, when she'd finally sort of broken the back of the match and got back in it and and then started to stretch away in the third set. I think she went 4-1 ahead, didn't she? And then it got back to 4-3. And that was a a big moment for her to be able to still... Get over the line from there, um, and when she did, her celebration produced one of the photographs. I think that we will always look at and remember where where she was when she was lying on the ground in the middle of the Arthur Ashe Stadium court for for quite a long time. And she just she just sort of and this was after she'd already done the the racket tap. She'd gone back to her chair. And then she just walked casually over to the centre of the court and just gently, almost as if she was putting a blanket down for herself to lie on, she just gently lay down and looked up into the into the sky. And she lay there for some time. And afterwards, when she was asked w- what that celebration was all about, she said, well, I've, I've seen lots and lots of players do that, you know, collapse to the ground in, in the moment of victory, and I always, I'm always, i always a bit worried that they might injure themselves. So I just thought I'd do it a bit more carefully so that I didn't injure myself. <laughs> and it was so awesome, <laughs> wasn't it?
4: Do, do you know what I heard in my head when that moment was was occurring before our eyes? No no guesses? No, no. blank faces? Go on. I heard the brummy voice of Dan Evans saying... This US Open's going to be iconic. (laughs) (laughs) I've only seen those quotes written down. and didn't actually hear him say it, but I imagine it sounded much like that. He said it on
3: this podcast, Catherine. Oh, did he? Yeah. I mean, he said it initially earlier, but then he repeated it.
4: Did it sound like that?
3: Uh, Catherine, he could have been in the room
2: right now. (laughs) I was so not expecting Dan Evans. I I thought you were going to say (laughs) Billie Jean King or (laughs) Arthur Ashe or someone.
4: I mean, all of that too. (laughs) I mean, it's not, it's quite rare for something to instantly be iconic, like requires no processing power or reflection. Like that could instantly go into a um, kind of an epic vintage highlights reel of you know um archive montage material couldn't it It is instantly in there and it will be instantly identifiable as the 2020 us open Mm. it was just it was iconic
2: (laughs) (laughs) and for me it just felt like she was taking everything in everything everything she's done both on the court and off the court in the last month, which has been an incredibly stressful environment to be in, I think inside that bubble, I think you know she is a thinker, Naomi Osaka, and she will she will have overthought and been playing things over in her mind a lot. I think over the last month and really thinking carefully about every decision that she's that she's made, as you know, as much as she is in kind of intuitive and instinctive as well, I think. I think she instinctively have has those thoughts but then has to think whether or not to sort of act upon them. Um and it just felt like a felt like a release and it felt like her just yeah just looking up at, at kind of her world now that she's in, you know, this this great big expanse and she's got she's got all that ahead of her and it it felt so so iconic and she said she wanted to see what the other great players in tennis saw when they did that. And um it was very, it was very deliberately done, but also just so perfect for the moment.
3: Another m- moment that I think we won't forget is the post-match interview where they they did the trophy lift, and she did at least get the microphone for a second or two to to thank those she wanted to thank, and then they went into interview mode with Tom Rinaldi. And if you think back two years ago, it was Tom Rinaldi asking the questions in. That bare pit of a stadium two years ago with twenty three thousand people screaming and drowning him out, and it could not have been more different in this empty, silent stadium. It's so bizarre to think, and and actually Catherine came out with it with a great line of one day she's going to win this tournament to have a normal pro- trophy presentation. <laughs> um but
4: it did it did feel like a bit of a troll to have tom rinaldi do it again <laughs> yes didn't
3: it? he he asked about the seven masks didn't he that that she'd worn f- one for each round of the tournament with the names of the people that she was uh, she was trying to draw attention to those that had been killed um and he said what message were you trying to send and she just looked up and said well what message did you get from it because that's really what's what it's all about isn't it it's about getting people talking and thinking and considering these people um, and i I mean my my reaction was how has she thought of that so quickly? What a wonderful answer to just to just not trot out a a perfectly acceptable and but but maybe pre-programmed answer about the reasons she did what she did but to just turn it around and make other people think and I just thought I I, well she just impresses me more I think each day in terms of how her mind works and um and I feel like I'm learning a lot from her
4: when she did that and I agree with you I could not believe the (laughs) how perfect that response was instinctively that was just complete instinct and it was so so perfect it was so pithy and it just said everything that you could possibly want to say in that moment and it, it made me think of you know leslie allen uh, explaining explaining to me also beautifully about it, it not being the responsibility of black people to explain to white people and hold their hand through through trying to get this right and trying to right the wrongs. I mean, yes, it's wonderful when people like Naomi Osaka start the conversation and draw people's attention to it. But this constant burden of hand-holding and guiding. Um, and it made me think of, Matt, what you put so brilliantly on the on the Althea Gibson podcast when I think you were talking about, about Alice Marble, it being Alice Marble in 1950, a white woman, that um, wrote that open letter and 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 prompted the change that allowed Althea Gibson to become the first black woman to compete at the what became the US Open. You know, it was up to a white person. It was up to white people to correct or attempt to or take the first step in correcting the past mistakes um, and to to bat it back in the way that she did. And she wasn't trying to be provocative. That was just genuinely what she felt in that moment, and it couldn't have been more perfect.
2: I also think she's been maybe wanting to say that all tournament. I mean, she's been asked that question so many times, and this felt like the moment to give that response. Um, you know, because she's she is in a position of power, Naomi Osaka, but she's not looking for power at all. She's looking for influence, and she wants to expand people's minds and get them thinking and enlarge their knowledge on on the issues that she thinks are important. And, you know, so her message is turning it back on all of us to go out and find out more about these people and do what we can to to help the problem of anti-black racism and police violence in America. And I think her message is that we've all got a part to play in that and it shouldn't just have to be up to her even though she carries that mantle very well herself you know she she recognizes that it's as much as she can do it's also bigger than her and we all and we all need to take part in that and um yeah i was i was bowled over by that by that moment as well just in
3: the press conference before we came on air here um she was asked about uh, how she would celebrate this this title. And she said, I'll celebrate it by processing it more. The last two times I wasn't able to do that. Hopefully the more times I win Grand Slams, the better I'll get at celebrating, which is uh, which is quite a line, really, isn't it? I also think it, I mean, I, I feel like it shows some confidence as well and some intent. I don't think she was trying to be grandiose and... and Predicting exactly what she's going to do, but I think she certainly thinks that, that 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 she will do more of this than she intends to do more of this, and she, and I and I'd be amazed if she doesn't. Quite honestly, and actually, I mean, she said she hadn't decided what she's going to do about the French Open yet. hadn't She didn't commit to it, but I just wonder from you both what you think her potential is in terms of the French Open and Wimbledon because she's won three slams on hard courts now and she seems this beautifully poised and balanced athlete who's just great into both of the corners of the court and she hits the ball like crazy and she's got this great serve is is it transferable to those two surfaces can she win the lot
2: well I think on a hard court there's no limit to what she can achieve she's so balanced and has the has a perfect game for it it is it's kind of the next big question of her career how she does adapt her game to the natural surfaces i think i would i would want a more qualified coach to try and figure out the sort of technique and and how it will transfer but i think the main thing is that she will try and she will commit to to trying to conquer both surfaces um i think in in some ways the clay might might be better for her just that time on the ball and you know we've seen the way that people can hit through that surface and i don't i don't see any reason why she wouldn't be able to do that either i think the movement for her on grass might even be more difficult i think she talked about that at Wimbledon last year and i don't think she'd even played on grass until she became a professional where she had played a little bit on clay um I think it will take time I think well she might not even play the French Open in a couple of weeks I don't think it's going to come particularly quickly and I think that was a a mistake a lot of people us probably made given that once she'd won the Australian Open in 2019 her next two slams were her least favourite slams and I think we probably read a little bit too much into those results at the time and sort of questioned where she was in her career I think I think there is going to be a divide for a while between her hard court game and, and those other surfaces but she will she will reach for the stars in terms of what she can achieve in tennis and if that means having to conquer the grass and the clay I think she'll go for it,
3: yeah. I think her movement is so good generally that she'll be able to sort sort them both out if she properly commits to them both and I think she will. I think she'll end up winning them all. Um, at one point or
2: another, I think she's th- she's that good. There's only a few players now who are active who've won as many slams as her. You know, Venus and Serena and Kim Clijsters are all ahead of her, but they're also you know, in Serena and Venus's case, close to two decades older than she is. And then you've also got Kerber on three as well. But you know, in a few years' time, I I really believe she's going to be the leader in the whole sport to be honest you know once Fedor Nadal and Djokovic have left I think we're going to be looking at Naomi Osaka and as much as it's fascinating to speculate where she might take the sport in terms of on-court achievements I think what's what's arguably even more interesting and is, is how she might take the sport in a new direction in terms of well in terms of her activism I mean tennis has always been this sport you know quite a conservative sport but with individuals who, are, who fight for a cause, Arthur Ashe, Billie Jean King. And I, I really do believe that that is, that is as much a part of her future as her on-court achievements, carving out do, do you, that role for herself. Do you remember when
3: we were at the Australian Open at the start of the year and she said she wished she had a rival and she'd love to have a rivalry? And, and I was just thinking, imagine if in a number of years, and I know there's a lot of ifs and buts here, but imagine if her rival was Coco Goff. And Goff wanted to wanted, uh, was sharing the stage with her, and that they're both as driven as each other, not only as tennis players, but as people who want to make a difference to the world that they live in and and the things that they believe in. I mean, it could be a really special time for the sport um, in that regard. So, by the way, I went to I uh, went into Victoria Azarenka's press conference afterwards as well. She spoke really well. Um, and she was asked how, how disappointed are you you know that it that it went away from me she said it's not it's not disappointing it's just painful in the moment you know I'd love to have won but I didn't feel like she's carrying a load of regrets around with her I don't think she f- felt that she did she did what she could with what she would got on energy levels wise and all that sort of thing but I think she recognizes how good Osaka is um but she's She's very accepting of whatever ends up happening. You know, she gives it all her all and then gets on with it. But I just absolutely love the way she is aware of what she used to be when she was world number one with her. She kind of almost mocks what an ego she was and how she's sort of, you know, how she kind of got in her own way. And she did. She used to get in her own way all the time. Um, but I love the fact that here she is at, in her early 30s just understanding that that's what happened when she was in her early 20s. It's, it's not that often you see that when a player is still active. I find, I remember Jim Courier saying to me about two years after he'd retired, you know, if only I'd been world number one at 31 and not 21, you know, mm-hmm. I might have done an awful lot better job of it.
4: Yeah. Tennis players in self-awareness, shocker. <laughs> <laughs> two of them on the same court (laughs) yeah um in the year
1: 2020 unheard of if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers
3: Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Anybody who's watching Amazon Prime video today would have seen Catherine doing a fantastic job of presenting their coverage. What you didn't know... Is why Catherine wasn't on the podcast last night.
4: Did you not reveal?
3: No. Mm. Tell us what happened. Has there been
4: speculation? What is the wildest? What's the wildest theory?
3: To be quite honest, Catherine, I think people were perfectly happy to have Mary Caroline. No offense. (laughs) Brutal, but we haven't got but- Mary Corilla tonight, so you know, thank God you're back, and uh, and and you were actually there were quite a few people who said they missed you, but nobody asked actually where you were. So oh, thanks, they, mom and dad. Yeah, so so where were you? What was going on?
4: I was at Marlebone Town Hall at 10 a.m. this morning.
3: And just just set the scene a little bit as to when you <laughs> went to bed and when you woke up.
4: I went to bed at six and
3: because this was after the two men's yeah. semi finals that you needed to present live television for.
4: Thank you, Pablo Crony I went to bed at six uh and uh my alarm went off at eight thirty.
3: You had two and a <laughs> half hours sleep?
4: it's two and a half hours sleep. I um I slept in my hair and makeup from yesterday. (laughs) I slept in my false lashes.
3: (laughs) Which we now know about. I
4: sprayed on some sort of, like, lacquer onto my face, which was, like, from Joan Collins in the 70s that preserved me like a sort of mummified corpse (laughs) Um, in order to... gain me, you know, half an hour's sleep and I would have been doing my hair and makeup. Uh, yeah, so I was at Marlebone Town Hall at 10am this morning from one of my oldest and dearest friend's weddings. Fun and games.
3: <laughs> so you've had two and a half hours sleep, you've gone to a wedding, mm. between 10.30 and when did you eventually end up going to... Prime Video Studios?
4: I got picked up from a restaurant on Marlebone High Street at 3.30pm just when the merriment was beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I, On the way into the uh, to Marlebone Town Hall uh, a, a sort of Butlin's Redcoat type man who'd just um, like it was a school trip sent us, it was a lovely wedding by the way, uh, just sent us, ordered us everybody into the ladies and gents lose uh, all together a group trip to the toilet (laughs) after we returned from that we were told we were permitted to climb the stairs into the the ceremony room and i was clutching a vat of coffee i mean a a a receptacle so large that i don't think there's a name for it and is it like a pint butlins oh it was bigger than a pint the butlins <laughs> red coat type man uh informed me that i could not uh ascend the stairs holding my coffee uh due to covid restrictions so i lifted my mask placed the cup uh under my mask and i downed it in one <laughs> And uh, the bloke gave me a round of applause. He said, "I've never seen that before."
3: <laughs> and that did and, the job.
4: And that uh, that buzz lasted about twenty minutes before I went in search of more coffee. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I mean, look, it was it was a it was I, I've 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 definitely felt fresher, mm. but um yeah it's one day i knew i could get through it yeah and i'm adrenaline. very pleased i was able to be there
3: adrenaline kicked in and Catherine did some of the best television presenting you your life. thank you
4: thank you costa coffee uh, baker street for making it happen
3: <laughs> uh, so. costa
4: coffee friend friend of the pod yeah I, no, mean, I mean not officially,
3: but <laughs> couldn't be proud of Catherine. I mean, you know, it's thirteen years and you've finally turned into me. And you do you only need two and a half hours sleep now. So
4: And although I had to leave my, my dear friend's wedding early, in lieu of my uh my presence at the at the latter portion of her, her big day, she did receive a visit video message from Greg Rosetsky. So Happy wedding to you, Monique and Jonathan.
3: What more could you want? Or oh. he wish it was very <laughs> happy sweet. Marriage, he, wished, as Greg would say. he wished
4: them a very happy marriage. <laughs> it was I've, really
3: sweet. I've seen the video. It is lovely. Ah, oh, bless you, Greg.
4: <laughs> I didn't even ask him to do it. Suddenly he's just there. He's like, is the camera on? Yeah, okay.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Good lad, Greg. Um,
3: yeah. So Right. Now, Catherine, you get to have how much sleep can you fit in between now and the men's final?
4: So it's 2.42am right now. I am setting off for work at 4pm. So that is 13 and a quarter hours from now. I intend to sleep for at least 10 of them.
3: I haven't done that since I was about eight.
4: Mm. I, I mean, if I didn't set an alarm, I would sleep. I'd sleep beyond four o'clock, I think. Yeah.
3: Uh, you, you think she's joking, listeners. I, I've had s- situations where I've been WhatsApping Catherine, and, uh, <laughs> you know, after what I consider to be a reasonable amount of time to have had her sleep, i.e., 12 hours, and she's still not responding. So, anyway, there's <laughs> a little delve into our past. <laughs> All uh, right, this men's final. Uh, dominant team against Alexander Zverev. There's not a lot of hope out there for you Zverev fans, according to the latest pole vault pig- figures, which I know oh, Catherine wants to God. hear on two hours you're sleep. Keep,
4: you're keeping me up for pole vault.
3: <laughs> yes, I am. This and, a low point. Uh, so far, we've had more than 1,000 entrants into the poll And the last time I looked at it, 9% of people thought that Alexander Zverev would win. Um, we've now had 1,132 votes and that's gone down to eight percent of people think that Zverev can win, which seems I think he's, very I, low. I,
4: I think he's got a better chance than that. Look, I, yeah. I think Dominic Thiem will win. I think probably he'll win in straight sets. But anything could but, happen, couldn't but anything it? I anything mean, could happen. I do think... You know, team's never been the favourite in a Grand Slam final before. That's really different for him. Um, and Zverev genuinely has nothing to lose this time. And you know, watching him in the early earlier rounds, he was really really good. Zverev. his his match against uh, Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, he was sensational. <laughs> now, obviously, Dominic Team far better tennis player than Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. I'm just saying, take away the pressure and the weight of expectation not just everybody else's i think his own expectation is as big a problem as anything and a lot of the issues with his game go away i know there are technical issues with his second serve but they are the catalyst for them is or or it's a bit chicken and egg isn't it but it's it's all it's all um heightened by psychological problems so i don't know. I. I'm gonna predict team in three, but he's got more than an eight percent chance and pole vault is bollocks. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right. Okay. Catherine's made her mind up. Um, what do you think, Matt? I mean I think I think today my predictions campaign finally came to an end in terms of my chances of winning. Um because I you think I think that was today. <laughs> Well, hold on. I I I picked up 56 points yesterday for my straight sets to win for Dominic team. You thought I wanted Dominic team to win in straight sets so that you could get to sleep earlier. <laughs> That's not the only reason that I was really pulling for that result it's because i i I closed the gap dramatically and i overtook sophie who's our uh, opponent in the newsletter predictions Uh,
4: but then today it's a low point for sophie isn't it sorry Sophie. sorry sophie
3: but then today when i really needed naomi osaka to come out flying she goes and in the words of john mackina lays an egg
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you doubled your whole predictions points total with that team prediction David I think you might need to go you need to go for the most dramatic score yeah, you've got nothing probably, to lose now you are Zverev hmm, which is I don't know what it is Zverev in some number of sets um would be the least I said Osaka
3: in two you you two both said Osaka in three didn't you today mm-hmm. yeah and which a, means
2: and a from the start of the tournament I, yes like All right, to okay out. there's
3: you know there's no <laughs> need for this is there well, nobody's even invited that
2: well, you
4: brought except up except the person that started the the conversation about polls and predictions. Honestly, this
3: always happens, <laughs> listeners. They just start ganging up on me. I'm sick of it.
2: <laughs> um, I think Team's going to win because I think he's a much better player in much better form. I think he'll probably win in th- three or four sets. But I, I am very interested by, as you said, the pressure dynamics. Zverev's never been in a grandstand final. How will he cope with that? Will it? You know how much like a true grand slam final will it feel without the crowd there? I think probably quite a lot, and that will be a situation he will have to deal with. And as you said, Team has never been the favourite, but I, I also wonder whether whether Zverev actually sees himself as not the favourite. I mean, I know he referenced that head to head he has with Team, but I kind of get the feeling that Zverev thinks he should win most matches he plays certainly when he's not playing one of the big three i I think he thinks he's the guy this is my house exactly
3: did did he not quote himself as saying whoever's in the final it will be the two best players in the world correct (laughs) (laughs) at which point rafael nadal and novak djokovic spat out their coffee (laughs) i'm assuming
4: (sighs) crikey okay um well, he did, he did advise Martina Navratilova to check out his record against the big three, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. At
3: yeah. which point, 18-time Grand Slam champion Martina <laughs> just sort of said, OK, Sasha, <laughs> just calm down. <laughs> um,
2: anyway. He needs to have a brilliant serving day. I, I, I see mm. that as his, as his biggest chance. He needs to find the serve he had in Australia. And even then, he lost to team... In four sets, um, when he was serving quite well, but I think he needs—he practically needs to serve him off the court because from the back of the court, I only really see one winner.
3: Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like Team from the back of the court just rushes him because of the way to shot. But we'll see.
2: Seven two is the head to head. He's never had a top ten win at a Slam, Alexander Zverev. He's had he's had over twenty on the tour and never at a Slam.
3: Oh, that's that's a. That's not a great stat, is it? Um, but he's in a grandstand final. Absolutely. I, I mean, Catherine's picked out a couple of matches where he's played really well. I, overall, I've 10 I've kind of
2: not been very impressed with him this tournament. And yet he's in the final, which is it's, it's one of those weird things where he's got less impressive as the tournament's gone on. He, yeah. he actually started. I well. mean, beating
4: Kevin Anderson yeah. in
2: round one was yeah. Yeah. was the high True. point.
4: It was really it was. A, Really big win.
2: But but I think, I guess the progress is that he used to have the really unimpressive performances very early on in the tournament and he would go out. Well, now he's had a couple in the quarters and semis, but he has still got through them. So it is progress, but I just don't think his level is is close enough to beating team at the moment. Mm.
3: Well, we'll look forward to it. Catherine will be on air from what time, Catherine? 815
4: Excellent. PM, so you've got PM.
3: 45 <laughs> minutes of build up of chats. Yes. Who have you got in the studio with you?
4: I think it's probably Jim Courier.
3: Oh, yeah. He'll be joining you on a live link, I imagine then yeah
4: we mm. might even have mary carillo as well
3: just have everybody i say yeah i mean why
4: wouldn't we have mary carillo <laughs> would be my question the answer to that would be if she's doing other things because everybody wants her yeah uh but i think we'll definitely have jim courier tbc mary carillo okay well. and uh greg and daniela
3: Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to watching your coverage. I will also be commentating on it for BBC Radio. Um, very much looking forward to that. Uh, from I, th- I guess we'll be just, just short of 9 o'clock when we go on air, which is 4 p.m. local time when uh, when that match starts. Um, and the order of play begins tomorrow at 12 o'clock local time in New York with the Wheelchair Women's Doubles final Uh And that also features Jordan Wiley of Great Britain as part of that. Then it's the men's singles final at four, as I said, local time. On the Lewis Armstrong court, uh, it is Alfie Hewitt against Shingo Kaneda in the wheelchair men's singles final. And then the wheelchair quad singles final is Dylan Olcott up against Sam Schroeder. Um, And I should say just a couple of results from today as well. Uh, in which we have had wins for... Gordon uh, Reid
4: and Alfie Hewitt.
3: Oh, yeah. Well done. Yeah, you're quicker I think than they're, me.
4: they're four-time men's wheelchair doubles champions.
3: Mm, yeah.
4: Not not, not a bad record, that.
3: No, not at all. Uh, win also from Dida De Groot in the wheelchair women's singles final and in the wheelchair quad final doubles, Dylan Alcott and uh, Andy Lapthorne, winner in a really close one, 10-8 in the third against Schroeder and Wagner. so um, there's been loads of good matches today, there's some more good ones tomorrow, we've only got one more day left of this weird Grand Slam tournament and um, I'm still looking forward to it Um, I dare say Catherine you'll be looking forward to it a little bit more after precisely 10 hours and 15 minutes sleep
4: Yeah, or more. I did say minimum (laughs) 10 hours, so I'll let you know tomorrow.
3: Excellent. Well, I shall finish my whiskey. Uh, I shall give a big shout out to Zeus, the lovely dog, who for one day more is going to be our mascot for the US Open. Thank you so much, Zeus, for backing us. Um, Thank you all as well for listening to us and and sending your support in and um just sticking with us we've 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 loved producing these shows all hours of the day and night and uh from the feedback we're getting it seems that many of you are enjoying listening to them as well and that means a great deal to us and is frankly what we're doing it for um so we'll be back again tomorrow to do this one more time we'll see you then